0: Good afternoon, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well please turn tonight
1: in the Word of God once more to the uh, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 11 and verse number one through four. And the word of God says, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. And the rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of the ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men and that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now these are the chief of the province that dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah dwelt every one in his possession in their cities. it Israel the priests and the Levites and the Nethanims and the children of Solomon's servants. And at Jerusalem dwelt certain of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. And then what follows is a list of the, the priests and the Levites and the porters. And then over in verse number 25, just one other uh, verse to read, verse 25. And for the villages... And with their fields some of the children of Judah dwelt at Kirjatharba, in the villages thereof, and at Debon, and in the village thereof, and at Jekabziel in the villages thereof. And then chapter twelve, verses one through twenty six consists, as verse one says, Now these are the priests and the Levites that went up with Zrobul, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, Zariah, and Jeremiah, Ezra, and a list then of the priests who were involved in this return from the captivity. To grasp what is happening in these chapters, we need to go back to chapter 7 and consider again the verse number 4. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. And so at this time in uh, the return from the captivity, the walls have been built but the well-being of the city requires people. People are required for its defence and its prosperity in terms of trade and such things as that. Thus, here in Nehemiah 11, we have some details. Now, we're given some details regarding the repopulation of Jerusalem. To move to Jerusalem uh, would not have been easy. And sacrifice was required for such a move But as we look at these verses, I want to begin by considering these verses as a template for a godly society. The first thing to think about is, what do these verses tell us about what a godly society should look like? I'm very cautious regarding the drawing of lessons for our society out of Old Testament practice. We are not modern Israel. We are not a theocracy. Israel was the covenant people of God, governed according to the civil requirements of the law of God. We know from the New Testament that there are matters such as dietary and hygiene requirements, which we do not adopt. There were penalties exacted and other matters that, that are clear they've been abolished through the coming of Christ Jesus to fulfill the law. The civil aspect of God's law is not placed over secular governments in the New Testament. When you come to the New Testament, you see that the people of God are to live in the midst of secular communities. And thus, the United States of America is a secular, predominantly Gentile society. And it is not Israel. And therefore, we should be careful to draw direct correlations. However... There are principles to draw from the Old Testament which, if they were correctly applied, would lead to what the wise man refers to as righteousness exalting a nation. It is obvious when you think about it, that these Old Testament principles come from God. And therefore, they have merit given consideration in every society. Yes, we are mindful, and this is the The key principle, we are mindful that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Uh, And therefore, these principles, uh, they largely refer to Christ's kingdom seen now in the New Testament church. But still, there are principles that can help nations to make wise decisions regarding their practice and, and how they govern themselves. Principles that are contained in the word of God. We are here, of course, in a, in a prayer meeting where we're under God with the instruction in the Word of God to pray. We are to pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. But what are we to pray for? What is our desire regarding what a godly nation would look like? It is right and proper to pray for the place in which we live. Paul makes that clear in those words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. There is the necessity to, to live in this world. Well, here in Nehemiah 11, we, we find a society reorganizing itself under God. And the principles we see in this society are, I believe, instructive and interesting for our consideration tonight. First of all, there is a distribution of the population. Verse 1, The rulers dwelt at Jerusalem, and the rest of the people also cast lots to bring one to dwell at Jerusalem, one of the lots, the ten, and nine to dwell in other cities. There was the wise counsel with the giving of lots to determine who would go where, that the people would be spread around. Some would live in the capital, in Jerusalem, and others would live in other cities. There is much wisdom in this. Perhaps this has been a neglected principle of society. We tend to overcrowd certain areas, and there are many troubles that are caused by such overcrowding. A balanced population is for the benefit of the people. It makes economic sense with the balance between trade, commerce, agriculture, and such things. A, a nation that can self-sustain if there are those who are willing to live in, in cities and others who are prepared to live in a rural area. The second thing to notice is that there is good government structure in place. Verse 1 refers to the rulers. And then their leaders mentioned in verse 9, 14, and 16, you take 9, Judah the son of Senua was second over the city. Verse 14 refers to Zabdiel the overseer. Verse 16 again refers to oversight of the outward business of the house of God. Without the details here, I'm just making the point. That a godly society thrives on good, wise, and judicious government. We're not told here how much or much about how they ruled, but we do see, if you read the, the verses uh, carefully, you will see that provision was made for defence and for prosperity, to guard what they had. And also to prosper and to trade with others for the prospering of all people. There's reference here to the valiant men in verse number 6. Uh, again, a reference to defense. These are brave men. You've also got men of valor in verse number 14. This is uh, a reference to, to, again, military might. There's, there's good and wise government in place here. But those are, are, are really secondary issues. Important, uh, but secondary. For the, the third thing we see is that there is a theistic worldview... Now, everyone has a worldview of one sort or another. Uh, these are, it's a term that denotes uh, principles uh, that are believed regarding life, its meaning, uh, principles of ethics, which then go on to govern how you live. Well, here we see a theistic worldview. And of course, uh, what I use term theistic, I'm thinking about not just a God, but the God of the Bible, And here Jehovah is central to the reorganization of the people at this time. There's an emphasis on the priests and on the Levites. Look at verse number 22. And you will see there that the worship of God was to be practiced and maintained. There's a reference to the the singers who were over the business of the house of God. And then chapter 11 and the verse number 17. And you go back there. Again, it refers to the, the importance of the, the, the beginning of the thanksgiving in prayer. And there you have that in the verse number 17 in the middle. The son of Asaph was the principal to begin the thanksgiving in prayer. Another mention of thanksgiving again is, is, is also uh, there in chapter 12 in verse number 24. Again, when there's organization with their brethren over against them to praise and to give thanks. So in this reorganization, there is a desire for the priests and the Levites to maintain the worship of God. But there is a a clear understanding of the importance of thanksgiving. And that says an awful lot about a society. Thankful, of course, to the Lord. And a thankfulness to the Lord implies a mindset, a worldview where God is central. You'll all be better acquainted with the history than I am, but uh, again, as this nation uh, got on its feet, there was immediately a recognition of the importance of thanksgiving from those who had a theistic worldview. When you have a thankful spirit, there's a recognition that all we have comes from God. It's not a matter of mother nature or chance or any such things. There's a recognition that the prosperity of the society comes from God. And and furthermore, we we recognize that we stand uh, as a society which needs the Lord. These are things that come from thanksgiving. The opposite of a theistic worldview would be a, a secular worldview. And it is well recognized now that we are living at this time in a society that is increasingly secular for from both sides of the political divide, there is, there is a clear advance in secularity and thinking. It's not about God anymore. It's about other things. It may be about, about prosperity materially. It may be uh, promoting, a, a, again, an ethic that's against the word of God. But there's clear movement in a secular direction. We can and we must pray that this would change for the good of our society and in turn for the prospering of the church so there is this theistic worldview. Fourthly, there is the prominence of the Word of God. One function of the Levites, you may remember, was to ensure that people knew the Word of God. There was more to their duties than that. But one central function was to make sure that people knew the book. But they were not only found in Jerusalem... But well, there are, sorry, verse 20, it's clear that they were also in all the cities of Judah, and the residue of Israel, of the priests and the Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. Urban and rural communities were instructed in the Word of God. When the Word of God is taken away from society in a general level, there is clearly a departure from the Lord. And so we we appreciate very much that the Word of God being removed from the school was a clear sign of a nation moving away from God and departing from the Lord. There is the prominence of the Word of God here in this reorganized society. There is also in the fifth place, finally, there is the proclamation of God's way of salvation. There are steps made here to ensure the word of God continues in the house of God. And you'll see a number of references in the in the the full chapters uh, to the house of God. Look at verse number uh, sixteen of chapter eleven. Again there was the the matter of oversight of the outward business of the house of God. Reference in verse nineteen is made to the porters, verse twenty two to the singers. Verse 21 refers to a, a, an unusual a title, the Nethonemes. speaks of temple servants. So care is being taken to ensure the house of God functions smoothly. And what is the house of God here? It is, of course, a reference to the temple. And what is the, te- the purpose of the temple? It is the exaltation of God's salvation in the person and sacrifice of Christ. The temple did that pointing forward. And here you have porters and singers and Nephilims and priests and Levites, and they've all got their duties to make sure the temple runs smoothly. In other words, to make sure that people can see this is the way to God. Through sacrifice, through blood, you come to God this way and this way alone through the great high priest who will bring you into the presence of God and pray on your behalf. That's what the temple was all about and here in this reorganized society uh, there is the emphasis on the importance of that uh, practice continuing society prospers when people engage in Christ exalting worship those principles i believe they stand out I believe they, just, they, they come to light in these verses. Uh, they are verses that you may read them in your devotions and think, well, what, what do I learn from this? Well, well here you see some principles that, that do mark a, a godly society. And I think we have the right to pray for these things, to pray that God would bring them about. You you take them in the reverse. So let's, let's go backwards. And you think about what the impact would be if there was a renewed Par in the proclamation of God's way of salvation. And so if God is a common revival blessing, and the gospel is preached with renewed clarity and renewed authority, with the unction of the Holy Ghost, what happens when that occurs? Well, then there is the prominence of God's word in society. Those who come to faith, they, they love the book, and they want the book to govern their lives and their families and their church and in society in general. Which in turn leads to a, a strongly theistic worldview. You get the sense of, of, of God in the center of the nation. Righteousness exalting a nation again. And then in turn, what do you get? You get those with a good theistic worldview steeped in the gospel. They begin to govern. And you get good government in place for the well-being of society. And in turn, you then get the people of God functioning as people in a way that is for the good of all. And there's, a, there's this population balance and population peace. Not discord but peace and cooperation as neighbor loves neighbor for the well-being of the work of God. And therefore we have the right and the obligation to pray for these things that God would indeed revive this nation so the righteousness would exalt the nation. Why would you want anything different? Surely that must be your desire as the people of God in this place. That as a, a broader society, there would be a living with God in the center and the gospel being preached in souls Coming to know the Savior and living in obedience to God's commands. With that all said, the lessons to be learned from the Old Testament are preeminently lessons to be learned by the people of God as they are organized in the context of the local church. It was to the local church in Corinth that Paul wrote the words. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, our learning. Our admonition, or these Old Testament principles there, they are a challenge for a godly church. So they're a template for a godly society. But these portions are also a challenge for a godly church. I want to highlight four areas. Just mention three and then we'll pause on the fourth as we close. Three of them arise very clearly out of the things we've just noticed. The church prospers under good government. The church prospers with Christ-centered worship. The church prospers under the authority of the word of God. As the people have a willing heart to work for God. So there are four things there. The church prospers under good government. The church prospers under good government with Christ-centered worship. Meeting for worship is vital for the church of Christ. And thus, the Lord has said in his word, six days shalt thy labor. And there is this day set aside for the public worship of God. But that day is not negotiable. It's not a day you set aside. It's a day to worship God. And if this church is going to prosper, there must be that continual reinforced emphasis that the people of God understand the importance of gathering together to exalt Christ throughout the day. There's also the importance in the third place, of a good church, again, functioning and prospering under the authority of the Word of God. And the Word of God is prominent here. The Levites are prominent here. The Word of God is the only rule of faith and practice and must be in this place now and going forward. But all of this, it also occurs as the people have a willing heart to work for God. And the attention now falls then on verse number 2. And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Whether the people were among the one in ten in verse number one or additional, that's not clear. Can't be certain about that. But what is clear is that they are clearly commended for their behavior. Such voluntary commitment to serve the Lord is for the good of the entire nation. It's for the good of the city, and it's for the blessing of the entire nation. The Lord looks with favour upon such willing service. You think back to Judges chapter 5 and the the victory of Deborah. Judges 5 and verse 2 says, Praise you, the Lord, for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. There's a a reputation of that phrase. They willingly offered offered themselves such willingness to serve the Lord is what God desires of all his children I'd like to briefly just open up this aspect of service serving God with a a willing heart and think broadly really in New Testament terms think about their commitment So we're looking at these verses as a challenge for a godly church. And they've got a willing heart to work for God. And so you do see at the very surface, you you see their commitment. I believe the commitment is for the glory of God. And for the good of others. Beyond self-interest. I think their example is one of the selfless actions for the general good of the people of God. When we have the work of God at our hearts and when we have the, the good of others at our hearts you will then see this selfless commitment to serve selfishness in life leads to strife and bitterness if you have any kids in your home you all know that to be true we've seen these verses in more recent times Philippians chapter 2 and the verse 4 look not every man on his own things but every man also in the things of others Or Romans 12, verse 10, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honour preferring one another. We seek first the kingdom of God. We seek first the well-being of our brothers and sisters. We place others above ourselves. And that in turn, that prospers the word of God. So there is this selfless commitment. There's also in the second place, there is the cost their decision to live in Jerusalem would not have been easy. The challenge they faced would have been significant. Matthew Henry suggests three costs they would have had to face when moving to Jerusalem. They would be expected to live a more religious, devoted life by living in the holy city. He wonders, is that why others decline to move? Was the recognition if you were going to live in Jerusalem, there'd be burdens placed upon your attendance at the various worship times and feasts and all the rest. He also reckons that they were more at risk from the attacks from the enemies. He often pointed their anger at Jerusalem. We find that time and time again they, they besieged Jerusalem. It may well be also they were less likely to gain financially. Uh, The city's in partial ruins. It's not a trading city at this time. It's economically difficult. There are some in the church who are comfortable with the identity of being a Christian, but not comfortable with the cost of giving their all for the Lord. Are we fearful? We don't want the required extra devotional life. We're quite comfortable with having a devotional life one day a week. But the rest of the week, we're quite prepared to live for our own ends and for our own good? Are we fearful of the attacks that may come if we determine to serve God with our all? Wholehearted, living for Christ will require more than a going through the motions. It will take effort and toil to know the word, to pray and to meet with the Lord. I'm not talking about missionary service or full-time service. But simply living our lives in every sphere, wholeheartedly for the Lord. In light of the gospel, Paul says it is our reasonable service to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Reasonable means rational. In other words, in light of Christ and the cross, it makes sense. It makes sense to give your all upon the altar. That will look differently for each person in their own sphere of opportunity and service. But I think all of us, we can all look at ourselves and say, well, am I just simply comfortable going through the motions of my religious experience or can I give more? Can I give more for the glory of God? Lastly, we think about the cause of this. How come these people are prepared to commit themselves despite the cost? What is it in somebody that enables them And you might say, well, yes, they have a high view of the the glory of God. Uh, Yes, they have a a desire for the well-being of God's people. But all of that doesn't come about naturally. And here I am definitely drawn from the the New Testament. And what we see here is the work of the Spirit of God. It's only by the Spirit of God that we are able to live for God, Old or New Testament. And in fact, in Psalm 110, it says, Thy people shall be willing... In the day of thy power. It's the work of God that makes us willing. This willingness is a Christ-like quality. He says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Christ offered himself willingly. You take verse number two. That willingly offered themselves. Who who does that to a a level that is infinitely more than any man? It is Christ Jesus. Willingly offered himself. And so this action is Christ-like. It only comes by the Spirit of God that makes us more like Christ. It is a Spirit that enables us to apprehend more of the love of Christ. And there's the love of Christ that constrains us. The health of the people of God requires the people to willingly offer themselves fully in His service. It is this Spirit that will cause the people of God to reach out to others in service of others. In many ways, in different cases. But the Lord is able to work this in our hearts. But there is a challenge for our church. That challenge falls ultimately on that verse number two, where the people willingly offer themselves and the implication is to serve God and to sacrifice themselves for the glory of God and the good of the people of God. May God be pleased to use his word to stir up these burdens in our hearts, that we pray for God to do this in this place, in our society for His glory alone.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.